As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. What's important here is, as you mentioned, Bomb Cyclone and what they did with Grand Funk Railroad. That takes us back to 74, 75 and the equity gloom back then. Someone who studied that, he's way too young to remember it. Jonathan Golub joins us, chief U.S. equity optimist at Credit Suisse. We're thrilled he could join this morning. I'm going to get to your revisions, your markdown on earnings in that. But the answers after 74, I believe it was, we went up 38% the next year. And critically, then the year after that, we went up another 18%. Is that the great? surprise out there is an equity liftoff out there somewhere? Well, you know, I think it gets to something that, that Lisa was saying is w- what's good news? I mean, right now, the backdrop is just becoming much more positive with respect to this idea that there's no recession coming in the next two or three quarters. And the market getting their head around that, which is why the VIX has fallen and why stocks are racing ahead. Now, the mm-hmm. problem is eventually this does bite us in terms of um, two things. First of all, um, companies are, as inflation is falling, companies are losing pricing power and that's not good for margins. So a resilient consumer is actually a little bit of a headwind for profit margins, which is strange. And then ultimately, this inflation doesn't magically go away, which is also a problem. You mark down earnings, okay? You're doing tweaks here in the Outlook. You got a 50-page Outlook. I didn't read it all. I read part of it. Do you know you know the, you know the watermark that they have for us so that we don't steal their research? Yeah, yeah. Do, Do you know what send. his watermark said? If if this research gets out, we take away my eggnog. I couldn't believe Credit Suisse did that. The compliance <laughs> department at Credit Suisse did that. I want to know if profit's a place to hide. You were way out front in the bull call of selecting certain sectors, certain stocks. Does profit save me if I have to own stocks? I don't think that's the way you should be looking at it. And, I, and I, you're talking about you know Gina's comment that what happens in the economy doesn't necessarily happen in the stock right. market. What happens last year, corporate profits, the outlook improved throughout the year and the stock market had a terrible year because um, you know interest rates rose and and you know other factors mm-hmm. like that. I think this year is going to be a little bit different. I think that you actually have margins. I'm sorry, margins are, are going to get squeezed, and I think it's going to be tougher on profits. But I think the the stock market is going to be a little bit better on it. Like how much better? Double digit? Are we? I, no, I need to make no, some no. News. I, I John, listen. it's a slow day. I need to make some news. Let's go. <laughs> 
No, I, th- I think it's going to be a more modest returning year because I think that you're looking at something like down four or five percent profit growth, even if you don't have a recession right. because of a margin squeeze that's coming. Have the companies that have already done the layoffs, and I'm thinking of tech, I'm thinking of certain industries, even the banking industry is starting to do some bigger rounds of layoffs, and, and of course, the semiconductor industry. Are they going to be in a better position or are they just a tea leaf for what's to come? Well, f- yeah, first of all, th- when you look at and a lot of guys on Wall Street talk about all these layoffs because they're looking at tech and financial, financials. But but in reality, the, the job market is just swimming in, in in unfilled you know jobs and demand is incredibly high. But what the story is is on on tech in particular is that, that and you know Tom was talking about profits. It's not one profit picture. The the tech um, universe, if you include the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks and the like, have, it's been a horrific environment. They've substantially lagged the market. Their their estimates are being revised lower and lower, and they're missing the lowered estimates as a group. And their outlook for growth, you know, it was weak. This is since the iPhone came out in two thousand eight. This is the worst year for tech related companies um, that we've seen. The expectation is that next year. We're going to get this big bounce in tech earnings as we get, you know, we had this big pull forward. We're all staying at home. We're buying stuff. That lull afterwards is going to last longer than we think. Are you telling me to sell Apple? I mean, I don't own it. I'm in the triple leverage all cash fund. We know that. But are you telling people to sell Apple along with all the other challenges Kathy Wood has? What, What I'm saying is I think that this problem that we've had in tech is not a sentiment problem. It's an earnings problem, and it doesn't last for three or four quarters. It lasts for six or eight quarters. And a lot of these big tech companies that two or three years ago we said they have moats, they're impenetrable, and we talked in those terms. Um, a lot of those companies are, are are getting closer to total addressable market, whether that's in handsets or advertising or other things like that. So how do we get to 4050 by the end of next year, given that you're expecting perhaps a bit more softness and tech not leading? Well, there's other areas. So I think that energy, where there's this expectation that you're going to have a weakness in energy profits, I think is going to be totally um, wrong. I mean, we're seeing this right now that in, in, the, in the last six months, the earnings estimates for the energy sector are, keep getting revised higher and higher, even though oil prices are falling. So, like, where's the magic there? And it's a lack of refining capacity. And if we do end up with oil prices rising, a, a, you know, a bit because the economy is a little bit stronger and China reopens, then these companies source. Right. So I think that's an area of strength that's probably underestimated tech, on the I other mean, hand, to the downside. I didn't know this. I mean, folks, years ago, Credit Suisse was absolutely definitive on energy infrastructure in the United States. His name was Mark Flannery. He's over with Steve Cohen buying New York Mets bodies uh, at 0.72. You guys own the high ground. I don't think a lot of people know this. What does the subsets you have of energy tell you about the great energy bet in the stock market? Well, I mean, and and we're talking, you know, it's interesting. If you look at U.S. energy company or North American um, energy, you have each of the pieces separately. So you have companies that do refining and companies who do distribution and EMP. If you're looking at the big majors in Europe, they're just big fat oil companies and you have less of that granularity that you see you know, oh, that you would, his next US. trip to Paris is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, oh, I'm uh, here with the big fat well, oil well, companies. Well, no, listen, you have the same yeah. thing in the U.S. with with, with our big integrators. <laughs> but but we have a lot of, and and you can see that those you know those refining businesses 
are just levitating on lack of refining capacity and nobody's uh, putting it in. So if you do have oil lift off and then you actually get some upside in the more commodity sensitive stuff like the EMP name and the service names, the sector is going to be a, a really big surprise. It's absolutely our topic. The second area, at least we're talking about, is, is the consumer. Um, just think about what, what's going on. Their wages are staying higher and the inflation on the things they're buying is falling and there's an abundance of jobs, right. consumer confidence. And we've seen this now since June and July, the consumer confidence data is ripping and, and people aren't appreciating that the consumer is going to spend a lot more money. It's going to keep us out of recession. And that's another so that's area. That's the gallop optimism yeah. I well, see. And as you mentioned, he only gets to 40, 50. Yeah, but that's exactly it, right? I mean, even <clears throat> with optimism, the case is converging on some of the bearish sentiment that oh. we're seeing from elsewhere. I will say, America's going to shop. That's basically the takeaway that I heard. They've got money. They're going to spend it. Okay. John Gallup, thank you so much. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Right now, and this is really important, as we talked to John Golub earlier, there are 219,000 people at the Bank of America. And Mr. Moynihan called in this morning. Only Mark Cabana is working today for the Bank of America. He's global head of U.S. short-rate strategy at Bank of America. Thrilled he could find time creeping into the holiday. Let me go to short rates first, Mark. What is the efficacious way to play the fixed income market into next year if I'm scared stiff? How do you do it if you're afeard? Yeah, well, we think that the path of least resistance is still going to be for the market to try and nudge up the terminal rate at the front end. Uh, the market right now is about 25 basis points <laughs> below where the Fed's right. thought for the end of 23 will be. And if you're a little worried about the outlook, we think that you want to be leaning long the back end. We think that that is going to be a way to protect yourself against a slowing economy, uh, likely uh, right. declines in employment, likely higher unemployment rate, moderating economy. And that's going to give the curve right. still a bit of a flattening bias, at least in the near yeah. term. Yeah, so Mark, again, we do think that. Go ahead. Well, your charm is you speak in English. There's a lot of people in fixed income where you can't understand it lining up behind uh, uh, Bramo here. The number one question Thanks. I get from people on the street is how long is it going to take to make up a 15 or an 18% loss in fixed income? And you've got an encyclopedic knowledge on this. Is this a 12-month exercise, an 18-month exercise? How do I get to back to break even on fixed income? How long will it take? 
Well, it depends on what your benchmark is. Um, but look, we do think that fixed income is going to have increased value for investors over the course of the next 12, maybe 24 months. And that's simply because, again, you're going to be seeing uh, yields that are probably going to be moving lower. You're going to be seeing yields that have value in portfolio portfolios, again, as they serve as a hedge to risk off moves, where yields, when we see risk off, will go down as opposed to up. So prices will increase, not decrease, as we saw over the course of 2022. And that is going to mean that investors should be thinking more constructively about fixed income broadly, simply because you're going to see that risk off of value return to fixed income, which it really lost over the course of 2022 with very, very elevated inflation. As inflation moderates, we do think that that increases the attractiveness of fixed income and portfolios. And the way that we've been recommending clients play that is by being long towards the long end of the curve, uh, viewing the long end more constructively. Uh, you could still see yields rise at the front end to some extent if the Fed has to keep hiking over the course of next year. But we do think that the long end, you're going to be somewhat protected because we expect that most yield increases are going to be bought by investors who see long end yields as increasingly attractive around 375 or should we push back close to 4%. We think that there's going to be a lot of interest from fixed income investors um, around those levels. If the word of the year in 2021 was transitory, the word of the year in 2022 probably was pivot or step down or whatever you want to call it when everybody groaned. You could argue there are a couple other words in there. What's the word of the year in 2023 that everyone's going to kind of hang on to as the holy grail? Yeah, I mean, I think the market's looking for a pause from the Fed. Um, that's going to be at least what the market's looking for from the Fed. Uh, the word of the year will probably be recession or maybe not uh, a recession. Uh, certainly, it's quite consensus that we're going to see the U.S. economy and likely the global economy slow down over the course of next year. And how quickly or slowly that happens is going to really be the focus in markets. Right now, the market is looking for a turn from the Fed, looking for a turn in the economy, it seems, around the middle of next year. Um, and whether or not the labor market cooperates, we think, is really the question of 2023. So Michael Hartnett, your colleague over at Bank of America, put out a note today where he was talking about the 60-40 portfolio hanging in there, how he likes small cap stocks. And he talked about how bonds should do well in the first half and not so well in the second half. And it sort of coheres with this idea that stocks will do badly in the first half and better in the second half. What happens to that call if the recession is pushed out, if there is this momentum driven by consumer sentiment that has come in much stronger than expected? Yeah, then the, the value of fixed income is going to be deferred for a time. Um, certainly, if we see the economy that continues to do reasonably well, again, you're going to see the front end continue to sell off as the Fed is biased to keep hiking, keep moving terminal more elevated. And with that, you'll probably see the back end nudge up a little bit. The curve will become more inverted in that type of environment. And uh, you'll have to wait a little while to really see that performance in fixed income that we anticipate. Um, look, the market believes that the Fed is going to be successful in engineering a slowdown. It's just a matter of how high does the terminal rate have to go? How long does it take to achieve that outcome? But we ultimately think that they will be successful. And that's why we continue to have a constructive view on long end duration. We continue to think that tens are going to be rallying to about 325 mm -hmm. or so by the end of next year. And uh, it may take more time for uh, long end fixed income to really perform well. But we do think that you're going to see that performance over the course of 2023. Right. We certainly <clears throat> saw it in the last few weeks of 2022. Mark, one more question, if I can. Buried in your note is really the tone of the moment. I'm really taken back by this from fixed income strategists. You guys are becoming closet economists. You're looking for, quote, labor cracking. 
Have we ever done this before? Have we ever modeled our fixed income space off the dynamics of the American labor economy? Um, You know, I think that probably implicitly um, we have in the past. But what's different about today in 2023 is that we're all anticipating a recession. We're all anticipating a slowdown in the economy and the labor market. And in order to really see the front end of the curve start to perform, in order to see Fed rate cuts that are going to be pulled forward and justified, uh, you really need to see the labor market moderate. And that's not happening yet. So in many ways, this is the most expected, most anticipated recession ever. Um, And really, you need to see the labor market begin to moderate in order to think that the Fed will be able to pause and eventually then move towards rate cuts. Mark Cabana, thank you so much with Bank of America. Right now, we continue on Washington, but digress from where Anne-Marie Horton was on this historic moment yesterday, and we look forward to the domestic ugly politics of which Henrietta Trays is truly expert. She's Director of Policy Research at VEDA uh, Partners. Henrietta, Senator Schumer out with headlines here off the morning shows, and they've got to get business done. What actually happens in those rooms on December 22, 23? What is the horse trading that actually goes on? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. They're working with the parliamentarian right now and trying to coordinate with Senator Mike Lee, Republican out of Utah, to get an agreement on something called Title 42, which is a controversial immigration component that President Trump put into effect back during the height of the COVID crisis and which expires. So they're trying to horse trade a vote on that amendment in exchange for passage of a $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. And every senator and every House member wants that in their stocking this year. I expect they'll get it, but these fights take until the bitter end. Um, I'm hoping that votes will start at around 30. So to the imagery that we see uh, in the South, and I will state, folks, I'm as guilty of this as anyone removed from my life. But the imagery that we're seeing down South has shocked Washington and frankly shocked the nation of all political persuasions. How does that story change once this agreement is made? What is the new immigration policy, dare I say, of December 27th? That's a great question. I mean, honestly, speaking with staff on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, there are a handful of bills out there and all of the business community and every economist is looking at the labor shortage and saying we need everything from seasonal workers to high skilled workers. And there are bills out there to accomplish all of those things while simultaneously addressing the border. But we are too far into, unfortunately, the 2024 presidential election cycle to even get close to having an immigration bill passed in the next three days, let alone the next two years. So quite frankly, I don't think there's going to be a material change at the border. Um, I imagine they'll find some sort of convenient off-ramp to get around Senator Lee's amendment, um, but it probably will not change a whole lot. And I'm not anticipating anything material to come out of reform, either at the executive level or via legislation on immigration uh, before this year is out. And then again, as I mentioned, probably not for the next two years either. Henrietta, after the midterm elections, people were talking about a move to the center, that there would be more of a collaborative kind of feel, more of a rejection of the truly <clears throat> hyper-partisanship of Washington, D.C. over the past decade or two or three. How much does that actually fly in the face of what's actually happening as we count down to a deadline and are getting gridlock? 
I mean, right now we're going to get a bipartisan deal on the surface, but you're going to see this bill pass with almost exclusively Democratic support in the House and hopefully something in the range of about 70 votes in the Senate. So the Senate will be bipartisan. The House will not be. And, you know, if you want to tie it into the speech yesterday um, from President Zelensky, it is notable that there were only 85 Republican members of the House there. There are 213 of them, at least. That incredible event, coupled with partisanship at its most extreme, I think was really well illustrated. And that's what next year is going to look like as well. Um, they're trying to tie in Department of Homeland Security funding. Um, there are going to be impeachment trials. I'm not expecting any legislation will pass. It's remotely material until we get to the farm bill, which will have material implications for SNAP benefits. Um, and then the debt ceiling, which we'll have to deal with around September and will probably be a very ugly fight. Um, and th the reason we're getting this omnibus now is so Kevin McCarthy can wait to deal with the debt ceiling until September instead of having to fight that fight right out of the gate in 2023. I'm glad you mentioned the debt ceiling debate. It has particular poignancy as you see borrowing costs rise to the degree that they have. How much do you think that that will actually get a growing number of Congress members on board to reduce the deficit, to really pull back on some of the issuance? None. Uh, there, There's no way you're going to see any fiscal austerity actually come to pass. There will be no spending cuts. There will be a lot of jawboning about it. They'll talk about it extensively. I imagine there will be headline risk and we'll probably get down to the wire. But when you talk with staff, it's pretty clear they already know the path forward. And it's not even going to be via finding a new number uh, to replace the $31.4 trillion in debt ceiling authority Treasury currently has. We already know it's going to be a suspension, which was a, a Boehner era um, development that would um, suspend the debt ceiling, give Treasury a blank check to operate through X date, because it's a lot easier to vote for a date than it is to vote for a $32 trillion debt ceiling. And they don't want those optics. So I, I'm not expecting mm. any austerity from this. Henrietta, you said the presidential race has already started for two years from now. You're a grizzled veteran at this. When do we hear from President Biden? When do we hear from President Trump and when do we hear from another 10 worthies? Is that really what January awaits? Uh, I think so. Um, my latest conversations with administrative staff, uh, excuse me, administration staff <clears throat> were um, suggesting that right after the holidays, President Biden is geared up and ready to announce. Um, that's contrary to what my original expectation was. I thought President, former President Trump would not announce and that President Biden would therefore also not announce. But the um, incredible showing that Democrats had in the midterm elections has materially mm -hmm. changed that trajectory. Um, and from everything I see, Democrats and right. President Biden in particular are geared up to, to launch um, right after we get back from the holidays. Henrietta, thank you so much. Henrietta Trey's VEDA partners here as Congress staggers, is typical, I should say, yeah. to a year-end uh, closes. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It has been an interesting 2022 for Andrew Hollenwurst and Veronica Clark, economists at Citigroup. They were way out front on a terminal rate uh, above 5%. I give them credit with Anna Wong of Bloomberg Economics as well. And they reaffirmed that this morning. Veronica Clark, I don't know if you've seen this data. We've been chatting about it. But to be very uh, uh, direct, this data confirms the Hollenhorst rate, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit interesting to see markets move on a, a third release of, of GDP. You know, we've gotten this data a couple times already. These are revisions, um, but they were pretty big revisions. Yes. Um, both headline growth number, stronger consumption. You know, that's all where you want to see the strength and activity is consumption and investment. Um, and then I think especially that core PCE number revised mm-hmm. higher. Um, you know, markets are, are really hoping to see you know, softer inflation now, and we're really not getting it yet. What is your interpretation where the chairman desperately needs a lousy labor market? He's not getting it. But what is the study that you have of the disinflation path forward? Do you see a greater disinflation, everything considered? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we will get, you know, some overall softer inflation prints in, in 2023. Um, but it will be because initially because of things like goods prices that are much weaker. Um, we know that shelter prices and inflation measures should be softening with you know housing market that's already softer. Um, but yeah, you really do need to see a loosening in the labor market to be convinced that 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 third component, that non-shelter services, you know, will come back down to to two percent because we really don't see you know, path for that to happen until the labor market loosens. And we were talking about this with Lee Farage. There's a real disconnect here between your outlook for what's going to happen, between his outlook for what's going to happen, between the Fed's outlook with what's going to happen next year and what the market is saying. And I'm almost surprised that the market didn't respond more, albeit this is the third read of a GDP uh, for third quarter. And this is also initial jobless claims. But still, the evidence keeps coming in that you are seeing strength, you are seeing resilience, and that the Fed will make good on what they're saying. What will it take? to trigger a reset in terms of market expectations. Focused on the last two CPI reports, right? And like we've had you know, two softer reports. You know, If you just listen to the CPI data in 2022, it would tell you that the Fed was going to be more hawkish than they thought, than, than what most economists were thinking. Um, so maybe that's the right move now. Um, but I would really caution against that because you know, we get into 2023 and you know we'd still have some upside risk, even to things like used car prices, which wholesale measures are rising again there. Um, and you do have a lot of upside risk to those non-shelter services. If you look at where wage growth has been, it's telling you that those those prices should be higher still. I'm glad you mentioned used cars. We've been talking about it all morning because CarMax came out with their earnings report well below what people were expecting. You're seeing those shares plunge. It's also raising concerns about its peer Carvana and other used car dealerships. And just generally this idea, this is where you're getting the disinflation. Prices for used cars that were sky high, where some people were saying were a bubble, are disinflating, are deflating. How much further does that have to go? Is that a 2022 story or will that deflation continue next year? Yeah, this is a really tricky component because, you know, it's not necessarily telling us you know, much about underlying inflation trends. You know, this was the supply driven type of inflation you know, that we had as early as 2021. Um, and we have had you know, pretty big declines for the last two CPI reports. That's been a big reason why we've you know, run below you know, 0.4s or you know, that we were running 
I mean, you see some of that, I think, again in December. Um, but the best measures we have of where of where used car prices are going are some of these wholesale measures. We got data earlier this week from the Mannheim index that showed those actually are starting to increase again. Um, so it's not a clear downward trend as we're getting into 2023. I think the issue there is, you know, inventories of cars are just still very short. And that's keeping dealers from cutting prices too dramatically. Veronica, if we get a Holland Horse rate, there's just this belief out there the world ends as we know it. Now, I know Citigroup Economics doesn't believe that, but what does our world look like with a 5% plus terminal rate? I think into the outlooks of next year, there's a huge mystery to that. Yeah, I mean, I think our, our rate of, of 525 to 550, um, you know, is not necessarily the most dire situation. You know, we do have the unemployment rate rising. Um, you know, that is enough of a, you know, it's a high enough rate to cause a, a mild recession. Um, but we're not talking, you know, seven, eight percent unemployment. We've got it getting well, too wait, bit above. Wait, wait, wait. Do you see <laughs> evidence of a labor market troubled? I just don't I don't see the evidence other than the flash of tech and maybe the flash of every financial institution except Citigroup. Um, you yeah, know, I, 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 I just don't see the evidence. No, we we wouldn't yet either. Um, but I think, you know, if you start with the assumption that you know, the Fed will do what it takes to control inflation. Um, and in our view, that's getting rates at least to 525 to 550, you know, potential upside still. That means that you know, they need to see a loosening in the labor market. And we're not seeing it yet, you know, for sure. Um, but as we're getting into the middle of next year, we, we would expect that you're right. seeing starting to rise in the unemployment rate. Veronica, stay with us. Radio and television, good morning to you. An economic set of data at 830 here that moved the markets. No question about that. Yes, it's a Thursday before the holiday. Yes, it's boring. No, it's not. Futures deteriorate, negative 20 Dow futures. Less or so, I'm going to call it down 121. NASDAQ down seven tenths of a percent. Excuse me there. 20.36 on the VIX. And Lisa, you earmarked now out three basis points, a two-year yield, higher yield, 4.2. I guess it's a Jerome Powell, he is going to raise rates feel. It's a feel that perhaps we can't be complacent in this bet that we're just going to continue with a disinflationary impulse. And Veronica, when we start going into the granularity underneath it, it becomes very interesting because we can see that some of the disinflation in goods changes course next year. Are there other areas like that where some of the uh, the aspects of the inflationary that have brought down inflation this year will reverse and go the other way next year? I think about oil prices, gasoline costs. I think about uh, what you're talking talking about with used cars, are there other components as well to cause more goods inflation next year than people are currently accounting for? Yeah, I think there there definitely are still some underappreciated, maybe upside risk to goods prices. I think most people expect that, you know, supply chains have you know been correcting, goods demand is much softer. Yes, commodity prices are lower too. Um, and that means, you know, softer core goods prices. Um, but there are some upside risks, you know, if we're, you know, getting into a cold winter, you know, higher energy costs, um, China reopening, you know, if there's, you know, a lot of people who are are falling ill and not being able to work and that creates new supply issues, you know, that there's definitely some upside risk to goods broadly, not just cars. Uh, Veronica, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Veronica Clark with us at Citigroup. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. 
and subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.